In the movie, Frozen 2, as I've told you before, all of my examples come from children's movies these days. There is a scene where one of the main protagonists, Anna, is in a cave with her snowman friend, Olaf. A lot of you are tuning me out already. And uh, they're, they're in a bad spot. Things aren't good, and they're, they're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to solve this big problem that's in front of us? And we're, we're angry at Elsa because she left us behind. And, and, uh, and then, you know, lay off somewhere else in Frozen 2 land, Elsa actually dies. Yeah, a Disney movie. And, uh, and Olaf, her snowman creation, because Elsa's got the ice powers, uh, evaporates and flies, you know, just disappears. He, he dies too. Yeah, the children's movie. And Anna is stuck in this cave all by herself, totally alone. And she is paralyzed by her grief and by her fear, by all that she has lost. And then she sings this song, Do the Next Right Thing, which is really a neat song. It's one I think the better Disney songs is put together, but uh, we always skip it whenever it comes on because it makes everyone else cry. But I'm like, yeah, do the next right thing. That's great. But uh, it's because I'm you know, a man, I guess, and unemotional. But I bring this up because when we are abandoned by the people who are closest to us, to the, by the people that we really rely on in our lives, well, that's a moment in, in our lifetime where we say, this isn't, something's gone wrong. Something is bad. It, it shouldn't be this way. And it changes the way that we live forever. And Jesus in John 14 to 17 is, is trying to tell his disciples about how he is going away. And his disciples either don't want to believe it or are so saddened and frightened by Jesus' statement that he's going away that, that they need some reassurance. And that's what Jesus is doing in this, this section that we call the farewell discourse. He's saying, I'm going away, and here's why it's going to be okay. Here's why it's going to be okay. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, I am uh, one of, as to borrow someone else's phrase, I'm one of the least bereaved people that I know meaning that almost everyone that I have ever loved is still here, uh, save for the folks in our church that I have come to love that have died since I've been here. I'm one of the least bereaved people that I know, but I imagine that when you are at the bedside of, of a parent who is dying, when you're at the bedside of a, a child who is dying or a close friend, that there is a sense of, now what? How, how can I continue in the way that I've been going now that this person is gone from my life? And I think we need to hold on to, it, even if not that actual experience, at least our understanding of, of what happens in that experience to really get what's going on here in the farewell discourse. Because we need to know that Jesus' disciples, they are following him. So if Jesus leaves, what are they going to do? They're not ready to graduate yet. They still have all of this stuff that they need to learn from Jesus. Not only this, but it feels like Jesus is leaving at the moment of greatest conflict they've yet experienced. Does anyone remember how Jesus dies? Was it natural causes? 
Was it like, you know, oh, I'm dying peacefully in my bed? Or did people who hated him round up, you know, say, we are going to kill this man, arrest him under false pretenses, bring forward false witnesses, and then give him the very most awful death that they could come up with? Is that last one, right? Now imagine that you are one of Jesus' followers. How would you feel in the midst of that? You'd be like Anna in the cave. There's no light left. There's only darkness. There's no hope for going forward. Not only that, there's no reason to go forward because of the magnitude of what you've lost. There's no future. There's no hope. But Jesus is telling the disciples, it's going to be okay. Why? Don't you think that would be good to know for us today? That in the midst of the darkest places in our lives, we have reason and cause. Not just for hope, but for thriving. Jesus planned to leave his disciples in a world that would persecute them, that would ridicule them, that would beat them, that would hurt them. And he planned to cause them to thrive in the midst of it all. Would you like that secret? Would you pay $29.99 on the infomercial or something to get it? Maybe a little more. It's pretty valuable. Maybe they'd ask more. I think so. So what's the secret? What's the secret? Well, the secret is that even though Jesus was leaving, Jesus had no intention of leaving his disciples alone. He had no intention of leaving his disciples alone. Here in uh, John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you're reading in your NIV translation this morning, uh, it makes it, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. Like, if you love me, prove it by keeping my commands. That's not what the text says. The text says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience and command keeping comes from love of Jesus Christ. And there is no love of Jesus Christ without obedience and command keeping. He says, and if that's the case, if you really love me, and if your life proves it, then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete. Remember, we encountered that word paraclete last week. The NAV translates it as advocate to help you and be with you forever, which is a fair translation, but maybe not all that we need to hear. The paraclete in in the legal world, and there is a legal connotation here, is someone who actually does advocate for someone who is under fire, under trial for something, goes to bat and says, here's the truth and here's what you need to know and I will stand up for you when the chips are down. Jesus says, I will not leave you alone. I will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Now, that that thing where he says, I'll give you another advocate, that's really significant too. Because that means, well, if if we have one advocate, then we've we've had another. Who's who's the first advocate, right? Well, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus was the one who is going to bat for his disciples, who is protecting them, who is instructing them, who is telling them everything that they needed to know. And Jesus says, even though I am leaving, you are not going to lose that. The paraclete, the advocate, in verse 17, the spirit of truth will carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ among the people of Jesus Christ. 
See, we are not just an isolated church out here in Lemon Cove. I, I think being a church in Lemon Cove is so cool. And the reason is that there are no other churches out here. And it's not because I don't like other churches. I think other churches are great. And if we were in a place where there were lots of other churches, we would partner with them and we would work with them and do all that kind of stuff. But we are not. We are the people of God in Lemon Cove. We are the church. That's why we are Lemon Cove Community Church, because there is no other church caring for this community. And you know what? Maybe someday God will bless our ministry so much that we will plant more churches in Lemon Cove. Or someone else will say, that church in Lemon Cove looks like it, it, needs, it needs someone else. It needs a partner out there. And someone will come and, and plant another church in Lemon Cove, and we'll build that relationship with them. But for right now, we are it. As far as people sharing the gospel in with the homes of the people who live in Lemon Cove. We're it. But we are not alone. Because the presence of Jesus Christ continues with us through the spirit of truth. Now, when it says the spirit of truth, I think that the primary thing that's in mind here is that this, the Holy Spirit will carry on the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ for the people who love him. And to obey him. Now, how will the Spirit do that? I think that often we, we think of this as sort of a magical process, don't we? We all have sort of the magic theory of spiritual formation. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come, I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to like, God, I need you to do this thing. You know, I need you to help me to not be selfish anymore. Or, you know, help me to love my neighbor, like Julie was saying, or, or whatever it is. And then we're just like, okay. Right? Now the magic's going to happen. Has anyone, anyone ever done that? Has anyone done that today? <laughs> I do that all the time. Let me tell you, if, if I had my way, that's how God would work. Be like, God, hey, I really don't want to put any effort into this. I really don't want it to be hard. I really don't even want to try. Would you just please make it happen? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Oh gosh, that'd be so great. And yet, that's not how it works. Because what does Jesus say? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, On Discipleship, uh, I remember reading, I'd only gotten a few chapters into it, not very, like 20, 30 pages. And Bonhoeffer said, do you want to know the truth of your faith? Then obey. And I put the book down. I'm serious. I put the book down. I was like, I don't want to do that. It's not that I don't want to obey in, in the abstract or in theory, but I recognize that what Bonhoeffer was saying and what is true, what this passage is saying, is that we will never actually know the depth of God's power until we are absolutely relying on it. We will never know how deep God's love goes. We sing that song, how deep the Father's love for us, and really what we want is a love that just kind of loves us where we are without demanding anything of us, without demanding that we change or that that we grow or that we become like Jesus Christ. We want to love Jesus Christ in a way that doesn't change our lives, except in whatever way we will give God permission to change them, of course. If you can make me nicer, God, that's fine, as long as nice is easy. <laughs> it always comes back to easy for me. Remember, that's why those Staples commercials were so successful, right? The easy button. That's what we all want, and we wish that Jesus Christ was like that as well so very often. God, give me the Jesus easy button. 
But like Bonhoeffer said, no, it's, it's only when we actually start to obey that the Holy Spirit starts to work. That doesn't mean that our obedience isn't actually predicated on God's grace in the first place. God's the one who changes our hearts before we even get to work on him so that we want to obey, so that we're willing to even dip our toe in obedience other than just doing whatever we choose to be good for ourselves, for our neighbors, and for our world. But I think it does say that somehow the way that God chooses to work in our lives, he is absolutely sovereign, and he at the same time decides to include our will in it. He empowers us, but we need to then cooperate with that power. We are not marionettes. If you're here this morning and and you know about these things, Calvinism was never about, I have lost all power to choose. It's that my power to choose has finally been restored by the grace of God. And now I can make the hard choices I never would have made before. Okay, this is sounding kind of heavy, isn't it? Starting to sound like, oh gosh, Ian, you're laying up all of this guilt and responsibility on me, and I don't want it. That's not why I came here this morning. I just wanted to feel close to God. Brothers and sisters, the closest we can be to God is in obedience, That's where all the good stuff is. Now, how how does this work? Maybe if we talk about how this works, it'll it'll help us get on board a little bit more instead of closing the book on Bonhoeffer like me. Well, I think, first of all, what it does is uh, the way the Holy Spirit teaches us is that when we say, okay, I am willing to obey, or at least I'm going to do my best here, and we start to step out in faith in those sorts of things, the Holy Spirit does something for us. In, In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse 14, it says this. I really should have bookmarked these different things in my Bible because now i got a page over to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that uh, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God, come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. See, how does the Spirit lead us into all truth? Well, it it makes us able for the first time to finally tell what is true and to start to agree with it in our hearts. See, once again, it's not this magic theory of spiritual formation of, Holy Spirit, download the truth into my heart. Just put it there. Like, uh, we have Wi-Fi. Do you have spiritual Wi-Fi with which you can fill me up with knowledge? No, that's not primarily how it works. The way it primarily works is through obedience, through the experience of an obedient life, but also because God has already spoken to us through his word. And the Holy Spirit starts to open up his word, God's word to us, so we can finally, for the first time, understand it. Uh, Do you know anyone who is not a Christian and whoever talks about how uh, you know, the Bible's full of errors or full of contradictions or, you know, we, we, we can't really take the Bible seriously because look at this terrible thing that it tells us to do. You ever run into that? I, I run into it all the time. So I, I had a friend of mine, he said, you know, I, I can't believe that the Bible is really true, that it's really God's word because, uh, you know, it tells us to do things like leave our fields fallow every seven years. We don't do that. Tells us to not put new cloth on an old garment. You know, does God really care about that? Does that sound like a spirit-filled reading of Scripture? 
I don't think so. See, here's what's actually going on when, when most of the time when people say that sort of stuff. They're, they're not saying, I have these real objections. They're saying, I don't really want to do it, so let me find objections. And we can go back to them and we can say, oh, you know that thing about, you know, put an old new cloth on old cloth, uh, you know, why we shouldn't do that. Do, do you have any idea who God was speaking to? No, of course they don't because they didn't read it. They just proof texted something from somewhere. Say, well, God was speaking to his one special people. And what was the most important thing for his one special people? They love God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And that uh, they, they don't become corrupted by the other folks around them. Because they had a major problem back then with the fact that you know, they were the only monotheists. They were the only ones who believed in their God. Everyone else believed in some other God. And there was enormous pressure for them to cave and believe like everyone else. And we find that's exactly what they did. And so God said, here are the kind of people that you are going to be. You are not going to mix. You're not going to mix with the people around you. You're not going to marry people outside of Israel. And it's not because God hates people outside of Israel, but it's because now you've got new cloth and old cloth in the same place. And what's going to happen is that garment is going to shrink unevenly and it will rip and it will be no good. And I want you to have reminders of that everywhere in your life. And see, the Holy Spirit, by opening our hearts and our minds to Scripture, allows us to get beyond these initial nonsensical objections that we may raise. Because here's the other thing. When you say, I can't believe in the Bible because it it talks about different types of cloth and how by law you can't put them together. You said, well, way to think of the really important things in Christianity and object to those. You get where we're going with that? If you're going to criticize Christianity, you're going to choose the smallest details. Do you even know what Christianity is about? And then you know what is great? You get to tell them. See, Christianity is not primarily about what kinds of cloth we have on our bodies. It's really not about that at all. It's about the fact that we are lost and we are broken And our world is falling apart. And our desperate efforts to prop it up have never been able to do enough. And God saw that and he cared. He cared so much that he came in person and suffered the worst indignities that anyone has suffered. He even died. But see, when God enters our world, our world changes around him. And death that has always been the victor lost when it met our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk about the center of Christianity? Let's talk about sin and death and life. Because Christianity has a lot more to say about that than your personal fashion choices and mistakes. Bring it back to the center. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Helps us keep the main thing the main thing. Helps us to understand what it is that God's actually saying. Do you remember all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and you know what they're doing? Totally, Jesus told us. You know what he's talking about? Yeah, you're right, Jesus. I have no idea. That's what they're doing. Because they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and make sense of it all for them. And they're waiting for the death and resurrection of Jesus so that they'll go like, it is good that Jesus left because he rose. Because he lives again. Because his life was about more than just another empire or the end of an empire. 
His life was about changing the nature of the world that we live in, and he's done it. He's done it. The Holy Spirit, even though Jesus has left us, continues to carry on that teaching ministry of Jesus Christ by opening our minds and hearts to understand things that we would never be able to understand apart from the Holy Spirit. See, look at what happens to people who don't have the spirit of truth. John chapter 8, verses 43 to 47. This is one of the truly great chapters of the Bible. It's amazing you know, back and forth between Jesus and a number of Jews who were following him. And Jesus uh, is talking to him, and, and he says, You are not so great. And they said, No, we're pretty great. We're children of Abraham. And Jesus says, No, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. You would believe in me, and you don't. So you're not Abraham's children. They say, well, we're not illegitimate children. The only, fa- excuse me, the only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, because I've come from God. What's wrong with you? Why is my language not clear to you? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. What a phrase. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. We need the Holy Spirit, to carry on Jesus' teaching ministry. We hide from the truth to protect ourselves because we're afraid. We're afraid of what it will mean. We mentioned last week the first stage of grief is what? It's denial. No, this didn't happen. No. We lie to each other to protect ourselves. You ever have, I have this, maybe this is just me. It's going to be a little vulnerable here. But if I'm in a room alone, I'm not doing anything bad. But I I just get a little embarrassed to tell people what I'm doing. Sometimes it's kind of dorky, you know? And I I have children. What do children always want to know? Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and it's like, what do I tell them? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I'm not doing anything. And we wonder why our children grow up, and we ask them, hey, what did you do today? Nothing. (laughs) Well, (laughs) at least I know why my children are going to say it. We tell these little tiny lies all the time to protect ourselves. What did you do today? Well, should I tell everyone about the emotional breakdown? Nah. That was fine. Day was okay. We need the spirit of truth to help us live in the truth, to help us tell the truth, to go to obedience. But here's the thing. If we have the spirit of truth, if we really live in the truth, we also, Jesus guarantees us peace. How can that be true? How can that be true? Think of all of the lies that we live in that we tell, that we tell to protect people. You know, does this make me look fat? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. 
What were you just talking about with that person? Nothing. How can having those conversations bring us peace? Jesus, in this same part of the passage we've been, we've been reading from, really here we've been in verses 25 to 27 in John 14. Let me just read back to you the scripture that I've been unpacking, because I, I, I didn't read it before we started. But Verses 25 to 27, he says this, All this I have spoken to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. What if there was a life out there where we could live in the truth and still have peace? How is that possible? I think I... Oh, gosh. I can't leave you on that cliffhanger. We're not going to make it all the way through today, but let, let me just end on this. How is this possible? We are able to believe in and love Jesus. We're able to live in the truth because he doesn't leave us as orphans. This comes out of verses 18 to 24 doesn't leave us as orphans. We're not Anna in the cave. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keep them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This passage, by the way, this week, I felt like I was just turning in circles, trying to understand, because it feels like Jesus jumps from place to another place, and, go, and you'll notice I'm doing the same. I'm not following Jesus' uh, message the way he said it, uh, because I think we'll understand it better, at least in our context, if we sort of you know, rearrange this and that. I think Jesus' disciples got it because Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He knew what they needed to hear and how they needed to hear it. He still knows what we need to hear, but we are not the same people as his disciples. And like we always say, the Bible is for me, but it is not to me. So we're going to rearrange this just a bit because we remember it was originally written for a different audience. So here's what Jesus is saying. We're able to believe in and, and love Jesus and live in the truth because he didn't leave us as orphans. And the significance of this is that, first of all, Jesus didn't go away in a, in a sense that he's never coming back personally. Did you catch that in, in these verses? It says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Now, I suppose it's possible we can think of that in purely spiritual terms, right? Like, I, we, we actually have a song we sing. It's a great song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. And by that, we don't mean like open, you know, my heart's got physical eyes or something like that. We, we we're speaking entirely metaphorically. We're saying, let me see you spiritually somehow. But Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying, you will physically see me. Because Jesus is leaving his disciples to go to the cross 
cross. He's going to be buried in the tomb, but then he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to appear to his disciples. And they're going to be like, I don't understand how this is possible, but if Jesus can do that, he can do all the rest. If Jesus can go to the cross and die for me and live again, then yeah, I can have peace in this world that I can really live in the truth because the truth goes through death out the other side into life because a lie is always half a life at best. Is it pleasant when we tell those little covering lies to people? Or, you know, the kids come up and say, hey, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. I don't feel good about that. I'm not like, I am really building my relationship with my children right now by intentionally excluding them out of my life. Here. This is a great confession for Father's Day. Jesus, uh, this is seriously, really, what I'm going to end on. Yeah, Jesus... talks to his disciples at the beginning of this whole farewell discourse. He says, I'm leaving. And you know where I'm going, but you can't come yet. And the disciples say, yeah, I, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. We don't know anything that's going on. And Jesus says, you do know the way to get there. You do know the way to get there. He says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Because, see, I think in our world, we tend to think of the truth as something that is, they're, they're facts that, that exist outside of me that I, I believe in my brain. But Jesus is saying, no, truth is something more than that. Truth is a person with whom you have a relationship. Truth is relational. We can invite our children into whatever lame thing I was just doing, game I was playing on my phone, sports article I was reading, you know, staring into nothingness, whatever I do in those precious moments, you know, those few moments when there are no children around. We can invite them into that moment. And Jesus says, I want to be part of those moments too. And you can have that when you live in the truth. You live in the truth by believing in what I say and by obeying it. That's real love. That's how you love the truth. Okay, we're going to continue this next week uh, because I've already gone about 10 minutes too long. Uh, but let's hold on. How, how do I want to summarize that all for us today? God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't say, go sort it out, go figure it out. He says, get to work, and you will find me there. And I will lead you, and I will guide you, and I will usher you into peace.